known universe with its heroes and marvels. But what of the darkness? In our modern world, this is where monsters dwell. Tomb Believers, the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. And if this is your first time joining us, we are actually in, God, what is it, the sixth episode, fifth episode? Good question. It's the um, fifth episode, yeah. Fifth yeah. episode of our summer-long look at Inferno! That's right. We're looking at the 1988 X-Men crossover that heated up the Marvel Universe. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, the eye candy of the podcast, Trey Lawson. Hi, everyone. And we not only is Trey joining us this time, as always, but we actually have a special guest from the Across the Bifrost podcast. We have Ryan Doze. Good morning, fellas. How's it going? Doing well. Welcome to the show. I am very excited to dig into Inferno with you guys. Not something that I knew a ton about before you guys started covering it, but I was like, hey, if they're going to talk about it, and I might as well listen. And then you were like, do you want to come talk about a few issues with us? I was like, you know what? I think I do. I want to dig into this weird, wacky, satanic story of demons and superheroes. It's, It's like right up my alley. You gotta wonder how they got away with like a big satanic crossover in the 80s. Oh, yeah. This is like satanic panic, like, you know, just fodder for people to be like, see, look, there's Satan in comics. Like, there's a big pentagram in the sky. Come on, guys. Made it really obvious. (laughs) I mean, I don't, I don't, I I missed the issue where this all started because like some of the X Men got together and played D&D, but I would totally (laughs) read an issue where the Uncanny X Men play D&D. Oh, like specifically I, the 80s team <laughs> begging to be written, begging to be written like a good Jim's Jim Zub, like it'd be like a Jim Zub miniseries. Oh, yes. Yeah. That, if you've that, read I, his... ju- I just read his murder world stuff. Mm. And that's what I was like, oh, my gosh, this is brutal and funny, but not funny. And I was like, yeah, he would be perfect to do a satanic panic D&D X-Men story. I think the Zub was actually writing Dungeons and Dragons for a while. Yeah. He oh, wrote, that's too perfect. Yeah, he wrote a few stuff based on the Baldur Gates video games. Sounds right. He wrote the Rick and Morty versus Dungeons and Dragons cross uh, crossover comics, which they have done two series of at this point. And he's about to do Conan. Yeah. I read Conan. the free comic book day issue that he that they released of his Conan. I was like, okay, I can get behind this. I can do. Yeah, I can do this. Pretty, the art looks really good. So yes, it's it, it looks like a good book. Now, Ryan, on your show, you usually talk about a character we haven't really talked about a lot in the podcast, Thor Odinson, of course, better known yeah. as the Mighty Thor. 
Yeah. So my, my, my love of Thor like started way back when, when I was just a kid watching Star Wars movies and watching Lord of the Rings movies and being like, man, I I wish there was like a superhero that could be like both of these things. (laughs) And then the, the Jason Aaron run of Thor, well, that began a few years after, but I saw the, the initial Thor movie in the MCU. And I was like, oh, well, this is my guy. He combines all my love of fantasy and all my love of, you know, space opera. And he's just like, he's, he's so cool. Like he's powerful. He can do anything. He's really the powerhouse of the Avengers for most of their existence. And then Jason Aaron's God butcher hit like a ton of bricks. And I was I was so in on that. It hit me at a very interesting personal time, but also Jason Aaron is just a fantastic writer. So that, that series meant a lot to me. And that's where my love of Thor began across the Bifrost started a few years back when a a friend challenged me to be like, Hey, if you want to do podcasting, do a show for like 10 episodes and like, just see what feels right. And that was like 140 episodes ago. So (laughs) it has not stopped. I think we've had only like two weeks off in like two and a half years. So my numbers are probably wrong there, but it's been a constant part of my life for the last few years. And it's been a lot of fun gotten to meet a lot of great people through it and it's definitely helped my exploration of the character i'm not an expert i'm an enthusiast i i, I do i'm not an, i'm not a thor expert i just love the character and his comics are fun and his movies are fun so yeah across the bifrost is my, my baby it's my third baby so well that's kind of unfortunate that you're not an expert because we actually brought you on because this episode <laughs> we are looking at a title that does feature thor in it Yes. Uh, to be more specific, we are looking at Power Pack number 43, Daredevil number 263, Avengers number 300. That's the one, by the way. Yes, Exterminators sir. number four, and New Mutants number 72. We are deep in Inferno, which is really weird because, Trey, it seems like Inferno just started last episode. Yeah. <laughs> but these issues are very deep in, in Inferno. And, like, even like one of the issues, it seems like Inferno ends there. We'll so talk about it. We are at exactly the halfway point of Inferno. Wow. Like we are legitimately at the peak of Inferno right now. Interesting. Peak Inferno. Because it. it's what, 10 episodes of it that we're doing? I think this is the fifth one. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds um, right. Halfway sounds point. Right. Yeah. And Ryan, we actually brought you on because up to this point, we've been ha- having, you know, experts on, meaning experts in the X-Men. Yes. And but we thought, you know, since we are covering our first look at Thor Odinson in our show ever, I think, Trey, right? I'm honored. We would bring you on for a different segment. Usually we'd be doing previously on X-Men. But today we're going to bring you on previously on Asgard. So, yeah, this is at a really interesting point in Thor's history, because for the longest time, it was, you know, as Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, John Buscema, they kind of established the foundation of Thor's mythos in the comics up to about the early 200s, mid 200s of his numbering. And then from about to the 250s to the early 330s, you have kind of a hodgepodge of different writers coming on for 10 or 15 issues here and there and the artists would kind of swivel around there's a few regulars like keith pollard is a really great hidden gem i think in those numbers but there's a lot of turmoil there we still have the the foundation of his mythos established but then a young kid named walt simonson took over in 337 and he kind of 
changed the game for Thor comics. He introduces, obviously, a lot of comic book fans will know, he, re- he introduces Beta Ray Bill in this first issue and he shatters the masthead and the whole dynamic changes and we get this very Norse mythology saga type feel to his run. And that goes for around 50, 55 issues up to 382. And then it comes to an end. Thor's Thor's run with Walt comes to an end. And at that point, the editor-in-chief, Tom DeFalco, steps in as the writer. His buddy, Ron Friends, picks up the art duties. This creative team would kind of define Thor through the early 90s and the post-Simon, what I call the post-Simonsonian era, makes it sound very historic. They would they would work together for the majority of these Thor issues until 459, which is way past what we're gonna be talking today. But just for context, that's February of 1993. They total around 75 issues they worked on. They worked on Thor for longer than Simonson worked on Thor. And this is of course the, the team that is writing Thor at the point that we are in Inferno today. They can even past that, they continue doing Thor related titles like Thor Core and Thunderstrike. They co-created Eric Masterson, right? They did. Yep. And uh, I actually, I got the privilege of speaking to Ron a few years ago on the show and he talked about Thunderstrike being kind of one of his his crowning achievements with doing the Thor character because it was their version of that character and it was kind of the 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 big difference from their run, you know, from Waltz, you have Beta Ray Bill. You know, that's the big Thor kind of variation we think of, but theirs was Eric Masterson. And Eric's not in the story yet where we're at right now at this point in Inferno, but he's he's soon to be introducing the stories and then take off into Thunderstrike. As far as Thor's storylines at the time go, it's been kind of a mixed bag because we're a year past Simonson leaving the book. So we've had about 10, 12 issues to reestablish this new this new team. It's been a mixed bag of like big space battles with the Celestials and Ereshem the Judge. And they introduce Exitar, the, ex- the exterminator, the executioner. He, there's a lot of guest appearances by Steve Rogers, Spider-Man, Daredevil, Black Knight, who we're going to see Black Knight real briefly today. There's also a lot of Hogan in this era. People might know him as one of the members of Warriors 3, but Hogan gets a real big glow up in this era where he gets sent on a bunch of different missions for for Baldur the Brave, who's got the throne right now because Thor's on Earth and Odin is gone still from the, the Simonson run. The underlying story of this era of Thor is they're fighting against Seth, the serpent god of death, and his demons of death. That's kind of the the underlying tone of the Thor book at this point. There is one issue that had previously happened a few few months ago at this point, but it includes a character we're going to talk about today as well. In Thor 390, there's a significant moment where Steve Rogers lifts Mjolnir for the first time. And they fight against the demons of death. And that book, that book is weirdly, Thor 390 is more of an Avengers book than the Avengers book we're going to talk about today. Because the lineup is like She-Hulk, Black Knight, more for some reason, Monica Rambeau, like the, some of the classic 80s Avengers show up in that Thor book. And it's like, oh, 
this is more of a Thor book than Avengers 300 is because Avengers 300 is wacky and weird and it's awesome in different spots and we're going to talk a lot about that but Thor 390 if if you're a fan of Thor and you haven't read this era of Thor the post Simonson stuff go read 390 it's so much fun and of course it has that moment of Steve lifting Mjolnir for the first time and that's you know we've seen that in movies and it's epic so thanks to Endgame that single issue has spiked in value <laughs> yep, I went. Uh, it's one. Of, it's actually one of my favorite single issues of Thor, like just bar none. And I cannot find a physical copy of it. So, thank you, Endgame. <laughs> my my comic shop has one, but it's pricey. Yeah, it's 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 a little it's a little much. <laughs> so, Thor was always one of those titles that was a little bit intimidating to me as a younger comics reader. Like I saw Thor when he showed up in Avengers. And I saw, you know, I'd read, like, say, the first appearance of Thor, because I used to have the Origins of Marvel Comics trade paperback and the Sons of Origins trade paperback. But I never really got into Thor, because, like, oh, that's a guy with a helmet, and winged helmet, and he's got a hammer, and not not my vibe. But, like, I started (laughs) reading his stuff with, like, the old Lee and Kirby stuff. Yeah. When I was doing my read-through of the early Silver Age Marvel Comics. And it's good stuff. He's basically the Marvel Superman. You know what? That is a really good comparison that I wish more people would make. There is there's a lot of obviously the the high fantasy aspect of it is different than than Clark Kent's story. But the power set, really, the fact that he's the he's the the heavy in the Marvel Universe at the at that point, because Hulk's off doing its own thing. And, you know, they introduce powerful characters from time to time. But when you look at the Avengers, I mean, Thor is kind of the cornerstone badass powerhouse of the Avengers. And he, he Iron Man and Captain America are the three stalwarts on that team. Like no matter what, if there's a good Avengers lineup, it's going to have one of those three, most likely two of the three. If you're lucky, you might even get all three of them. I I don't read a lot of Thor. I've read the, the original Lee Kirby stuff. I've dipped in and out of the Simonson run. I actually very much enjoy the stuff with Thunderstrike. Yeah. That that era is fun. But really, I think maybe the most underrated Thor run is the Dan Jurgens run. Ooh, um, great. that's some which, great stuff. Yeah, that was I guess the Jake Olson run is what some people might call it. <laughs> there's um, a lot of there's a lot of good Thor to be enjoyed. I, I think, you know, when you look at it in a vacuum where you compare Thor to Thor, there's definitely, you know, the great stories and then there's the kind of the, you know, they're okay, serviceable. And there's some low points there. There are, you know, yeah. like any comic book, there's some low points, but uh, compared to like things like Spider-Man or Daredevil or like, you know, the highs have never been quite that high outside of Simonson and what a lot of people would say, Jason Aaron. Like I'm a big fan of the Jason Aaron run. It's what got me to read comics. So, Thor has had some definite high points, but we are not currently in one right now at this point in Inferno. We're in a little bit of a, we're in a soul searching era of Thor at this point. Maybe a transitional phase for for both Thor and for the Avengers book, both at the same time. Definitely for the Avengers book. I mean, this point in the Avengers is a mess. Like, and it also, a little bit of like context for people who may be coming into this just for the Inferno of it all and realizing the Avengers book is being written by Walt Simonson right now. 
And this is in between his Thor run, which is, you know, the thing probably Walt is the most known for. And then the second most thing, second thing he's most known for in Marvel is his amazing Fantastic Four run. This Avengers, this short, like, eight, ten issues of writing Avengers is right smack dab in the middle of that. And we are going to see, you know, we're going to see him write Thor and we're going to see him write Sue and Reed Richards alongside each other. And I felt like that was kind of funny. You say transition period, also a transition period in Walt's career where he's coming from writing Thor. He's going to do a little short stint on Avengers and then he's going to do a lot of Fantastic Four work before he would leave for DC. It reminds me a little bit of John Byrne's last issue of Alpha Flight as a crossover with the Hulk. And then he immediately picked up the Hulk, like, in the next issue. So it, that, it, so that last issue was kind of a transition, too. Yeah. I, I, one other, like, small just little note is that Thor has... Thor and the Fantastic Four have a connective history where creators have done both of those books. Like, Stan and... Stan and... and Jack obviously did it, but like Simonson did it. So many, Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends did it. Usually, if you write Thor or you write Fantastic Four, there's a good chance you're going to write the other book in a few years or so. And I've I've always just kind of found that interesting that Fantastic Four has shared so many of the same creators as the Thor book. A Jason Aaron Fantastic Four would be fun. Oh, I would read the shit out of that. And, And I guess in Marvel, the high fantasy and the cosmic are basically, it's not even a Venn diagram. It's just two circles on top of each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, there might be like a little itty bitty sliver, but it's like, right. it's like, yeah, whenever we have to do some God shit, like, you know, even Reed can figure that out. You know, I, I oh man, I'm now I'm obsessed with this idea of a Jason Aaron Fantastic Four run. I, a few cool. years ago, I was obsessed with him. I was like, oh man, he should do Captain America. Like he should do any, mm. really, I'll, I'll read anything Jason Aaron does, but Fantastic Four, That'll be my new obsession. Thank you for that. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) But we're going to go ahead and take a quick break, and we'll be coming back with our look at Daredevil number 263, right after these messages. Do you like comics? The 1960s? How about middle-aged gay couples gossiping about their neighbors? Then Then you'll you'll love Checkered Past. A loving examination of DC's go-go-check branded comic magazines published from February 1966 to August 1967. I'm Dr. Bob. And I'm Dr. Husband. And each week we'll be your hosts on a trippy tour through mid-century four-color madness. Checkered Past. Available wherever fine podcasts are downloaded for free. Now, the most successful comic book series in history is on home video. Marvel Comics X-Men, a heroic band of mutants. They do what must be done, and they do it with style. X-Men, a 30-year tradition that Polygram Video is proud to offer in this exciting collectible series of action adventures. Featuring the characters you've grown to love and admire as they do battle with the forces of evil. Keep your eyes open for these and more X-Men home video adventures and team up with the coolest mutant crusaders in the known universe. Now, you can collect all the titles in the original X-Men series from Polygram Video. The one and only X-Men. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Our first issue for today is Daredevil, Volume 1, Number 263, 
Cover date is February 1989. The writer is Anne Nascenti. The penciler is John Romita Jr. The inker is Al Williamson. The colorist is Max Scheel. The letterer is Joe Rosen. The editor is Ralph Macchio. And we open with Inferno in high gear. Demons on the streets of New York chasing people. Wreaking havoc. Causing chaos. And meanwhile, Wilson Fisk, the kingpin, is sort of contemplating all this. Because the demons are in a lot of ways pushing in on territory that usually he controls in New York. Vice and and corruption and things like that. The images that we get are of violence and drug use and cruelty all across the city affecting different people. We see an image of Typhoid Mary and a demon drinking champagne amidst the flames of a burning building. And during all of this, Daredevil, Matt Murdock, is in the hospital, completely wrapped in bandages over his costume. Pulse slow, but he's alive, and he's thinking to himself that he needs to stay alive. Karen Page is there watching over him, but also Mary Walker, a.k.a. Typhoid Mary, shows up as well. And the two women have an argument because Mary insists that she is the woman that Matt Murdock loves and that she knows his secret identity. All of this upsets Karen Page. She rushes first into the hospital room where Matt is, but then she leaves. And as she goes into the streets of New York, the voices of the demons are reminding her of the darker corners of her past. During all of this, Matt Murdock is still trying to will himself back into health, heal, beat heart, breathe, close wounds, and so on. It's very similar to his memories of Stick in the previous issue. As he is thinking this, though, it appears that demonic energies are taking over the machinery of the hospital. We go back to Kingpin, who is informed that the the Inferno, the demons, are having a huge effect on his business, and Kingpin says he knows. He, he expected this, and he doesn't care, and sort of leaves his underling speech. Matt is continuing to try and will himself back to health, as the, the demons are undermining that by taking over the the hospital machinery. In the streets, the fire and the demonic influences continue to increase, and Matt, seemingly sensing both that he is not safe where he is and that he's needed outside, wills himself out of the hospital bed. He rips the, the cables and wires from his body, and still only wearing bits of a torn costume covered in bandages, he rushes out into the street and confronts a giant demonic subway train that's running amok. He is able to make his way to the controls, pulls the emergency brake, which I guess somehow word of this gets back to Kingpin, who is shocked that Daredevil is alive. And Typhoid Mary seems to be a little bit blasé about the whole thing, that she enjoyed killing him the first time, that she'll kill him again. But she also insists that she doesn't work for um, she won't be caged by him. And the the demons that are present sort of have this ironic fun of saying that despite Kingpin's protestations, his, his insistence on, on his own independence and on being the, the top of the food chain in New York, that really, because what he does furthers the vice and corruption and violence of the city, that really 
he works for the demons. He, he's in service to them. That he sold his soul to them a long time ago. Meanwhile, Daredevil continues struggling against the, the demon monster that he's fighting. It's all very abstract and, and trippy. And just when it looks like Daredevil has lost, he is able to get, I guess, a piece of, of iron or a metal pole or something. And he uses that to fight back and he smashes the demon over and over, eventually throwing the rod like a javelin and smashing the demon's face. And then he collapses to the ground. And the people that he rescued rush over to try and, and help him recover. And one of the kids that I think we met last issue, Butch, uh, fills Matt in on some of the things that he's missed out on. The The clinic that he had operated has closed. Karen is gone. Butch is angry because Matt Murdock vanished too. The loft that he and Karen had shared is burned. Everything is terrible. And Daredevil is still in to be continued. I had very little idea what the hell is going on in this issue. <laughs> it's it's abstract. I like it a lot. I mean, and this is this is very much the style of Daredevil at this time. It was it was almost it Daredevil at this time is almost like a mood piece, you know? It's it's not the art is rarely depicting literally what is happening. There's a level of abstraction to it. Well, it's like yeah. we we talking about before we clicked record, it was like this is just vibes. Like yes. Daredevil 263 is just vibes. If you want to like see and feel the vibe of Inferno through the eyes of Daredevil, you should read this because I could honestly read bandaged, wounded Matt Murdock versus the demon train until the end of time. This, like, yes. I like this may have very little bearing on where Inferno goes and what the end result is. But I could watch him like beat the crap out of this demon train forever. It, I, I love the 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 color. Really, the colors of this issue popped to me because they only used about four or five colors: pink, yeah. yellow, orange, red. Like maybe a little splash of something else here and there. But the visual of him fighting this train was ethereal, nightmarish, out of this world. It, it felt like I was watching something from someone's living nightmare and I, I i felt it that vibe we were like talking about it it was very palpable in this issue and when my favorite panel of the whole issue is when matt swings his his stick and we see that crash of the the train being you know disintegrated around him and that large explosion at the end and he's just laying there you know like man no matt, matt murdoch really like if he's not if he's not hurting other people, he's getting hurt by other things. Like it's just his story is just a story of hurt, you know, cycling around. It's and, he's a he's almost a tragic figure. And oh, yeah, this definitely. is, I think, the one tie-in book we have that is about a non-powered hero in the midst of all of this. And so true. It really does this this effective job of suggesting how overwhelming all of this would be to, to a non-powered hero who when the event started, was already horribly injured. Correct, yes. Like, the, and I think parts of it, like some of these parts with the demon are maybe from Matt's perspective. Oh, absolutely. Like, with yeah. Because yeah. I don't think I've seen a radar since done that effectively, except for like maybe the Mark Wade run with, I think, Chris... Samney? Chris Samney, yeah. Chris Samney doing oh, art. Chris there. Samney. So And good. that those radar scenes there, which were very effective. Yeah, I I think you're right. That that's one way to to kind of make sense of some of the the 
trippier imagery, especially in the back half of the issue, is to to let it be uh, subjective like that. that. That we're sort of seeing things seems weird to say seeing things through Daredevil's eyes, but but we're getting his impressions. Of things. We're seeing things through Daredevil's senses. Let's put it that way. Sure, sure. And and really, it's Ramita Junior. But a lot of the more abstract parts of it kind of remind me of Bill Sienkiewicz. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. I was I was I was searching for who this feels more like because I know John Ramita Jr. is like a it's you know, some people love him some people hate him like he's one of those artists where it's just like you're either a Ramita Jr. guy or you're like his worst enemy but this is one of those where this issue this was the only issue where it legitimately felt scary at points it felt yeah. hellish at points and in a crossover with demons and devils and hell opening up into, into New York city. This is the one that I was like, Oh, this feels like something that would be a nightmare. Whereas like the other books are just like, yep, we're, we're superheroes fighting demons, which is fun. But this one was the one where I was like, Oh, this, this would be like a great horror movie, like one shot kind of thing. And, uh, and it's very much the creative team saying, we are tying into this event, but we are staying true to the tone of this book. Yes. Yes. I totally agree. Matt Murdock really has the worst kept secret identity in comic books. Right? Like, like that becomes a trope in his books at some point. Because right. at certain points of this book, he's just wandering down the street in nothing but a domino mask and bandages. Right. Yep. Nothing. <laughs> Practically nothing. <laughs> and and the and, and when he was in the hospital, the doctors had sworn to protect his identity. But like Trey, if you showed up dressed like this, I would know it was you. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it, it's kind of funny that the kid at the end is like still maintaining the fiction of Matt and Dare- like he's he's furious at Matt Murdock, but he's yeah. worried about Daredevil. <laughs> Matt Murdock, I hate him. He betrayed him. I hate I hate him. It's like, okay, man, you're laying it on pretty thick. Like right. <laughs> Matt Murdock, who has red hair very much like yours, dear devil. Right. <laughs> I do love how that like the 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 struggle of this issue doesn't end in a like, oh, but don't worry, little boy. Like there's ho- there's hope as long as you know humanity and like all this kind of like bullshit i love that daredevil is just like hey is, are, are you gonna be all right he's like no no i'm not all right and that's how the yeah. issue ends and i almost feel like that's how most of matt murdoch's story could be told it's like hey matt are you doing okay he's like no of course i'm not doing okay right. <laughs> like everything everything sucks also this is not the only demon train we get in this crossover right we had one we've seen X-Factor. imagery like this before you know what I, I like you know what i like my headcanon here is that this is the same train? Please. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Please. I don't think it was train. before. I, I, I don't think Daredevil's actually doing anything here. It's Iceman and Beast on the inside stopping uh, it. <laughs> well, so, so there was also <laughs> the, the subway train that, that Black Widow gets on in the previous Daredevil issue. Yes. True. True. Hmm. I think uh, Demon Demon Train Gate is getting more complex as we continue into <laughs> Inferno. Well, I'm yes. just imagining like a crossover now that's like a runaway train, and each issue of each crossover is like a different car of the train, and they're completely <laughs> unaware they're crossing over with one another. Brought to you by Jim Zub. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> but it's a it's a 
it's an interesting issue. And yeah, like you said, Ramita, I'm not a fan of Junior so much. I love Senior. I love Ramita Senior, but ah, like I think of Ramita as a little bit of a chameleon. Like he, yeah, his style has adapted to True. each successive era over the decades. Well, and like if like currently he's doing Spider Man, you uh, know, in 2023, and in a very modern style. Right. It, it 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 maintains very little of this. If you were to show someone, you know, whether an old fan and you show them a new book or a new fan, and you show them this old book, be like, hey, they're both John Romita Jr. Be like, you're lying. Like, that's not the same person. You go back a little bit earlier than this, and he's basically kind of imitating his dad. Which, which to me makes sense. Like, if your dad sure. is one of the greats, it's like, well, OK, I'm going to. I'm going to, I'm learning from the best. And he was, he was my dad. So like, it makes sense, but I, I like the Sinkevich comparison here because mm-hmm. that was like, I was, I, Oh, I, I was searching. I was searching for a comparison and this <laughs> felt like, Oh, if this was a moon Knight comic of the time, mm-hmm. like around in the eighties time period, I'd be like, Oh yeah, that, I mean, that makes total sense right there. And even the way the, the demon train is drawn kind of looks like, like warlock in new mutants. Hmm. You know, the kind of the use of, of really heavy black lines and, and sort of sketchy abstract style. It's, it's it's an interesting issue. And to kind of go to like the exact flip of the coin with it, our next issue <laughs> is Power Pack number 43. Writer on this one is John Bondogovic. John Bogdanoff. Wow. John Bogdanoff. Wow. <laughs> Penciler is John Boganoff and Sal Veluto. Anchors are Stan Drake, Al Williamson, and company. Letter is Joe Rosen. Glennis Oliver is on colors. Carl Potts is the editor. Tom DeFalco is editor in chief. And the title on this one is Revenge of the Boogeyman Part two we resume where we left off last episode with the boogeyman having taken the power parents hostage forcing the children of power pack to reveal their secret identities to their parents as you would be finding out your children are superheroes the parents are shocked but they get little time to deal with it because boogeyman then takes them on a gallivanting chase across the city the kids chase them chase them chase them there's some fighting. Boogeyman tells the kids, oh, your parents aren't going to love you anymore because you lied to them, and now they know you're a bunch of mutie freaks. And then uh, the kids have to take a little break from that to help some people who are being threatened by demons because Inferno is still going on in this issue. And then we take... Then we get go over and skip over like to space with like these horse aliens, which apparently are deeply tied to Powerpack's history. And... Ooh, boy. Apparently somebody's dying. I have no idea who. But then we return to the Inferno-fested New York, where the demons try to eat Power Power Pack kids, find out they're a little bit harder to digest than they thought. Power Pack then saves some children the demons are trying to kidnap. They then figure out that Boogeyman's been watching this whole time, and they then confront him atop... Is is that Empire State or is that Chrysler, Trey? What page are you on? I am on page, I don't know, 15. Oh, yeah. That's Chrysler. Looks like Chrysler Bill. Yeah, that's Chrysler Empire Empire State got taller, remember? Yeah, Empire State is tall and slimy at this point. Right. We'll see it in another issue. (laughs) Yeah, very much so. 
He confronts them atop the Chrysler building, tosses the power parents off the building where they are cushioned by Julie. That is, I think, the only power pack kid I can identify. They then have some more fighty fight. And I think Alex Powers is about to kill the boogeyman when his father jumps in and stops him being like, I, I still love you, even though you're a superhero, but like that doesn't make you a monster. Killing him would basically make you a monster. And they, they have this little heart to heart on the middle of his rooftop. And Boogeyman just doesn't understand. Like he never got the love and attention from his parents that the powers kids are getting from theirs. So he doesn't understand why, you know, the parents aren't turning them away. But in his disbelief, he tries to attack the power parents. He jumps at them. He misses. He falls into a fiery, well, inferno in the streets below. The Powers family then returns back to their apartment where the kids say like, hey, mom, dad, we still have to go help people because that's what we are. We're heroes. And with a teary goodbye, kids, the issue ends. I really like Again, like the Daredevil issue, this is, you know, not having familiarity with the with the power pack at all previous to this, I had zero idea what was going on. Like the horse sure. aliens? They're they're involved in the origin. Like I think they're maybe the aliens that gave the power pack their powers. Okay. And and the being they're worried about is a sentient spaceship. Oh Obviously. like the one X Factor has. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> Because for a while there, everybody had a sentient. They were just giving them out. You get as, a sentient spaceship. You get a sentient spaceship. As is their right as an 80s team. You need a, a <laughs> sentient a sentient vehicle to get around and do your superheroing. I, uh, very similar. Like, I had never read an issue of Power Pack in my life. And I think one of the reasons that kept me so far away from this book was... The fact that it was a joke whenever I heard people mention it, it was like, oh, Power Pack is Power Pack is not good. You should never read it. And I went into this with really low expectations, especially this issue, because all the other most of the other main characters, I kind of at least had a <clears throat> a little bit of a familiarity with this one. I had no familiarity with and I ended up enjoying it a lot more than I thought I was going to. And a lot of that was because of. You know, the power of family and the power of unconditional love. And I was like, I, I'm a sucker for all of that. And so when when at the end, they're like, you know, don't when Jim, the, the father, confronts his son right before he's about to kill the the boogeyman. I'm like, I'm like, oh, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't turn to the dark side. And he like calls him back from that precipice of going over the edge and being that killer. And I love that Boogeyman can't even rationalize this acceptance and this love. And the the thing that defeats him is his own confusion about how love works and why don't parents hug their kids anymore. I, I just this kind of hit on all the weird little notes that I enjoyed. So most people will probably read this and be like, oh, gosh, this I, I can't I can't I can't do this. But I weirdly enjoyed it. And the artwork was different but not so different that it turned me off to it i liked kind of the the creepiness of the demons and boogeyman juxtaposed with the kind of the softer more cartoony power pack it 
it oddly worked for me in this issue. But yeah, I enjoyed this way more than I thought I was going to. It's barely Inferno. You know, we have yeah. that little like demons are stealing babies and we don't want demons to steal babies. Well, of course. So, okay, go help them. But then with Boogeyman watching over the entire time, I was like, okay, here we go. Now back into our story. So, yeah. Yeah. And there's something weirdly contemporary about giant, vile, lumpy, loudmouth villain with pasty skin that essentially just sort of devolves into shouting fake news at everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very much so. But yeah, and, and, and as far as the villain goes, the last issue tied the villain a little more directly to Inferno. The reason he is a demon now is because of the intervention of the the Nastir from the, the main event. So so there is some connection there, too. But yeah, this is very much tying up loose ends from the Power Pack title, not from things going on in Inferno. Yeah. I mean, but he, Boogeyman looks like he belongs in this crossover, though. I mean, he is. There's oh, yeah. some panels where he's creepy as hell. Yeah. yeah he's, he's one of who got corrupted. Yeah. There was, I think, an editorial note in the previous issue that af- as a human, he fought Power Pack. And I think the New Mutants got involved and he ended up stranded in limbo. What's the point where, like, Power Pack starts hanging out with Franklin Richards? It's a little after this, I think. Okay. But but so that's the thing, though, is I think the part of Power Pack that I really like and the thing that, that clicked for me with this issue that I enjoyed is it's kind of Fantastic Four Jr. Yes, yes, that's that's the vibe I was getting. Like, you've got four heroes with different power sets who are balancing a family dynamic with superhero shenanigans. Like, that that's the Fantastic Four, but make them kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, I mean... At the time of like late eighties, early nineties cartoons, and you know, kind of that that kind of silliness. I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? I can I can definitely see like just from like an editorial standpoint why you would try Power Pack as a concept. Now, if you'd have told me they got past forty issues, I'd be like, yikes! <laughs> that seems like a lot of that concept. And like nowadays, this would have been a four issue miniseries at best. So oh, it's yeah. just it's it's just nuts how how long these runs would be. I, I think like later on in the nineties, there's a there's a run of a Quasar solo comic that goes like yeah. past fifty issues. Mark Grunwald, baby. Oh yeah. I'm like how how? Like it just it, it's incredible. It's incredible how long of a of a lead these these concepts and these characters would get. And Power Pack is not one that I would have guessed went past the, the 40 issue mark, but hey. They're here. And for what it's worth, the the future volumes of Power Pack after this first volume were all miniseries. They were all four or five issue runs. Yeah, makes makes perfect sense. Yeah, but I think they got folded. They got folded into Future Foundation or something. Like they were in the FF more after that. Yeah, they they've done a few things with Power Pack. This is where I've seen them throughout the years. You know, as a comics reader in the nineties. You know, like I think like. Of course, at this point, we really even here. They've already swapped powers with one another because in the first issue, they have, com- you know, the power sets completely flip around. And of course, I think at one point, Alex gets everybody's powers and right. becomes a solo superhero on his own. Then I think everybody gets their powers back. Right. They, they've also changed code names several times over these, which is a yeah. little confusing for a new reader. <laughs> Yeah, there was a attempted pilot for a TV show in 1990, yep. which yep. we talked about last time with our guest, and 
Uh, again, like I said, guys, is available in its entirety on YouTube. Yeah. Bring drinks. Is it animated? <laughs> no. Oh, really? Yeah, live action. Okay. It was, it was clearly intended to be like the one live action show in an otherwise animated Saturday morning block, you know? Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Like, is, is it kind of like wrestle crap bad where it's like, man, this is so bad it might be entertaining kind of thing? There's a certain there's a certain inherent campiness to live action superhero shows of the early to mid nineties of the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, it's 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 it's, it's very much the same vibes. If you ever watched like say the Generation X TV movie, okay, or the the David Hasselhoff Nick Fury, oh yeah, like those sort of one offs that didn't make it but tried, yeah. The Dolph Lundgren Punisher, maybe that's a little too edgy, but the Captain yeah, America that, TV movie, sure, those are okay. those are certainly a thing that exists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, again, like we said before, n- none of us I think are Power Pack fans, but we've really been impressed by John Bogdanoff's work here. Yeah, and you know, I'm not I'm not necessarily going to go you know seek out Power Pack, but I won't you know say turn my nose up at power pack like i might have done when i was younger yeah 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 and 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 i also i do kind of like how it's again we were talking about this before but it 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 is a power pack issue where the events of inferno also are happening and so there is this like there's this sort of moment where like the status of the inferno event has changed like things start to shift in terms of what's going on in the broader event and they're and they just kind of are like, oh, I guess that means we can move on with what we're doing. <laughs> it, it's almost like they're, they're, they're doing their thing. And then they then they run into the demons like Inferno. What are you doing here? And they right. deal with it. And then it's like, well, on to the rest of our, you know, Scooby Doo episode that we're doing right here in the middle of this demon invasion. Right. Yeah. Well, if you really want an example of Inferno getting in the middle of a comics, what should be milestone issue. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break, and we'll be right back for a look at Avengers 300, right after these messages. Imagine a podcast that celebrates the things we love. Why spend time being so angry and cynical about our fandoms? Join me, the Irredeemable Shag, for a show where we're just trying to be happy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast. Our discussions focus on a variety of geeky subjects that we're passionate about. While the topics will be ever-changing, our focus will be on science fiction, comic books, what it means to be a geek in this world, and other nostalgia-fueled ideas. Life is short. Focus on the positive. Find your joy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast, part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. WRTV6, Eagle 93, and Paramount Pictures invite you to a special preview screening of Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Get your free tickets to the November 25th showing this Saturday, November 22nd at Glendale Mall. From 2 p.m. to 3, we'll be giving away tickets, posters, and t-shirts to the first 250 people who tell us, live long and prosper. So beam aboard with WRTV6 and Eagle 93 this Saturday at 2 p.m. at Glendale Mall for Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. 
Okay, everyone, back and we're going to jump into Avengers 300, the seminal, you know, 300th issue of this fantastic run of Avengers with writing by Walt Simonson, layouts by John Buscema, finishing by Tom Palmer, lettering Bill Oakley, coloring by Becton and Siri, editing Mark Grunwald, and of course, editor-in-chief Tom DeFalco. We jump into this issue with Kang the Conqueror falling through all these different dimensions and then he sees a dimension that is being ravaged by a demonic invasion of course we know that is new york city in the midst of the inferno crisis and he's wondering where are the avengers and he's unaware that the avengers are really not a thing right now they've been disbanded he makes the astute observation that if there's no Avengers, then that's a problem. So he is looking for the Avengers. He wants to get them back together. And through his eyes, we see the events that concluded our previous issue of Avengers, where Orphan Maker and Nanny are trying to get Franklin Richards. We find out that Franklin is inside one of these robotic suits. Gilgamesh shows up. Reed and Sue are there trying to get Franklin back. And Steve Rogers, as the captain persona, is there helping out Reed and Sue. They're all fighting together, and they... they fight off the robots orphan maker and nanny are defeated by sue essentially blowing them up and being like nope i'm going scorched earth on these guys they tried to take my boy and she explodes their ship we find out in a little self-reflective panel of gilgamesh's back that oh no no the shrapnel wasn't the right kind of shrapnel and they got away you know but you know we'll, we'll go after them another time Franklin is abducted by Nastir. He opens up a little bitty portal and he's like, and I'll be taking that Franklin Richards. And they have to go search for him. I love all of Reed's techno babble. Reed Richards doing techno babble is like Star Trek level nerdy. And I love when Reed's like, I, I, I must build a machine to, you know, to find and track the particles that blah, all this like techno crap that probably means nothing he builds a impromptu little machine to track down franklin and Cap captain america sorry the captain and gilgamesh go along for the ride in i'll be honest one of the dumbest looking vehicles that you know i do not like this version of the fantastic car it's almost phallic in nature it's just weird <laughs> and they keep going flying across the New York skyline and they see this thunderstorm being created on the horizon and the captain's like well that can only be one person that can only be one thing it's almost like uh yeah you know I've seen that thunderstorm somewhere before a good friend of mine usually come comes around the time of those thunderstorms they drop in on Thor fighting a bunch of demons, something that Thor has been doing a lot lately. He's been fighting Seth's demons in his own book. Now he's here in New York City fighting you know, these demons for Nastir's, his evil invasion of the city. They agree to team up to go find Franklin Richards, who we find out is being used by Nastir to power this disc to open up the pentagram in the sky and let his demon army in. I'm sure I'm missing a detail here or there, but the general concept is he's using Franklin's great power to power his whole system. So 
that is what we our heroes are headed to do we get these little moments where gilgamesh is like you've probably forgotten of all of my deeds and the things i've done because he's the forgotten eternal he's he's the one that's gone by many names and gilgamesh is joining this little ragtag team to go find franklin richards meanwhile the growing man is the henchman of kang and Kang wants the growing man to attract the attention of all these Avengers pseudo members. Again, this lineup is kind of a mess. They follow the growing man to the top of, I believe, the Empire State Building. It's highly rec- unrecognizable with all of its demonic goo all over it. And they fight a nest of demons at the top of this building to free Franklin Richards. Sue is really the hero of this issue because she's the one that gets Franklin free of Nastir's hold. And then just when you think the issue is over, oh, right, we still have to beat Growing Man. And Growing Man does his duty. He gets beat up by all these proto-Avengers is what, what he's calling them. And then he finally gets beaten down to size to where he's minuscule, which is kind of how you defeat the growing man. But at the end, we see them all come together in the weirdest lineup of the Avengers to date. This roster of the Avengers includes two of the Fantastic Four, one Eternal, and, you know, two of the stalwarts, the, the Captain and Thor. But the rest of the team is kind of a hodgepodge. It's, it, it's a silly, fun action show. And uh, yeah, it was... It was weirdly enjoyable, even though it has very little to do with the overall Inferno story. Mommy, why are all these men standing over my bed? <laughs> like a swearing an oath over the sleeping child. Yes. <laughs> Who's already had enough trauma this evening. Thank you. I, I love at one point in that scene, they're like, Sue's like, hey, let's not talk. Let's not talk too loudly. And then they all do their own little separate monologues. It's like, we really didn't care about this kid sleeping at all because we're having a full blown conversation right above him while he's sleeping. <laughs> like, at least have this conversation over the milk and cookies they were promised. Favorite right. panel of the episode or of the of the issue. It's like <laughs> the captain's like, well, I'll have some cookies with my milk, but as as long as they're only Toll House, N- Nestle Toll House cookies. <laughs> I just I. I keep coming back to, and, and I, I've gone on and on about how I'm just not an Eternals guy, but do you need Gilgamesh if you've got Thor? What's he bringing to the table? My take on that, Trey, is that Gilgamesh is Hercules light, and Hercules is already Thor light. It's kind of the thing where, like, Mongol in DC is riffing on Thanos and Marvel, but Thanos was already riffing on Darkseid. Yeah, it it's... It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, in a team like the Avengers, we didn't need two of them. We had we had one of them and one of them was already better than the one you tried to introduce. It's like they have their roles. Thor is, you know, I know I've said this before earlier, but like he's the powerhouse. He's the one that can take on all these foes because he's just he's mightier, stronger, more powered than the rest of them. Reed has his has his role. Sue has her role. Cap has his role. Gilgamesh doesn't really bring anything different to the team. And in a team like this, you either have to be better at something than someone, or you have to be different. And really Gilgamesh isn't better than Thor and he's not different than Thor. So 
my, I guess my harsh Gilgamesh take I, that I didn't know I had. <laughs> I'm right there with you. One of my favorite Avengers moment. Well, one of my favorite Avengers series is, was Dan Slott's Mighty Avengers from. The, I love Mighty Avengers. Very during good. The Dark Avengers time where like the actual Avengers team was like Hank Pym's team. Yeah. And he, he's, he, when he's putting the team together, he's like, okay, I've got, I've got a super soldier. I've got a tech guy. I've got a god. Like he 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 knows the slots he has to fill. Mm-hmm. Like it, like it is Pym is putting that book putting that team together as though he has read past volumes of Avengers. <laughs> right. It's it, it's it's like a <laughs> it's like putting together a basketball team. It's like, well, I know I, I need a point guard. Okay, who's my point guard? It's not like we're changing the position. It's not like you're putting together a basketball team and you're like, okay, who's my first baseman? Like no, right. like that's not how we're gonna do this. We have the roles, guys. Come on. We don't we don't right. need two we don't need two point guards on this team. We don't need two Thors. We just need one good one. Yeah. Right. And 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 the thing is, and I I've gone on about this, so I won't go at length, but but the first Avengers comic I ever read as a kid was a mid part it was a middle part of a mini-series called The Terminatrix Objective, which is a Kang story too. Mm-hmm. And the thing that was so weird about it for me as a kid was the lineup didn't make any sense. Um, the roster in that miniseries is Captain America, Thor, Iron Man. So far, so good, right? Yeah. Like, big three. U.S. Agent, Thunderstrike, War Machine. You have the Trinity, the 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 the, the stable three, and then their yep. sidekick worst version, like right. le- not worse, lesser versions. It's the palette swaps. It's it's. Player one picked the big three and player two was like, well, I want them too. And so yeah, it yeah. gave them the palette swap. <laughs> it, it's like, hey, if you're not going to let me play with Mario, I guess I'm stuck with Luigi. Right. And and that's like, it doesn't work because w- with a team dynamic, you want variety, both in terms of powers and abilities, but also personalities. And so, yeah. And, yeah. and I think Gilgamesh, like you said, he's just, he feels putting him side by side with Thor does no favors to the character. No, right. He could be a perfectly serviceable member of the Avengers if he wasn't standing right next to the better version of him. Right. Right. And this is an issue they have, I think, in, in like we, we talked about the Fantastic Four issue, I think, last episode where they've got two things on a team. Yeah. We've why? Got, they've got thing and then you've got and she thing. thing and then they've got yeah. Crystal, who wasn't in the issue, actually. And then Johnny Storm, <laughs> Johnny Storm, who is might be leader. I can't tell who's leader of that team, but but leader of what? Like, <laughs> there were points in this where I was like, I, I honestly I forgot Walt Simonson was writing. Yeah, because think about this: he's been writing Thor for three, four years at this point, and then Thor shows up in this book, and I'm like, where is the Simonson Thor though? Like, because writers have done this where like they will do a solo book for a character that's normally an Avenger and then they will get to write the Avengers book. And I just feel like they lose that, that voice for the character. Here's where I'm like, where is the Simonson voice of Thor? Where, where is it? Thor's dialogue is almost like Thor's dialogue is like an imitation of Stan Lee Thor dialogue. Right. And that's definitely, that's not what, that's not what Simonson's Thor was defined by. There's a, I expected a little more post, you know, post Simonson angst in this, because there's a lot of angst in, in Simonson's (laughs) Thor, but there's almost like, there's almost like strong, strong boy kind of like 
dorky jock in here where it's just you know he's just like oh there's monsters i like to fight monsters and gilgamesh is like hey i'll stick around as long as there's monsters to fight it just gilgamesh feels like a like a copycat here but he's literally just repeating the things that thor likes to do back to the group and it's like okay gilgamesh we get it like we get it i also just really in every avengers issue that gilgamesh appears in once per page someone should stop and say and who are you again it's bad trade. Like, <laughs> I, I, Gilgamesh is so forgettable. I forgot he is in a MCU film. Yeah, and weirdly, he was one of my favorite parts of that movie. Yeah, <laughs> I just forgot that that was Gilgamesh. Right, right. And, but like, you, you have. I feel somewhat bad for Gilgamesh here, but who I really feel bad for in this issue is Black Knight. Oh gosh, I completely forgot to mention him. <laughs> Okay, Black Knight, when they find Thor, they thought he's he's fighting demons off her trying to get to the paralyzed Black Knight, who has used his ebony blade to draw blood and so gets turned into a statue. Something very akin to what happened in our actual play, listeners, if you haven't <laughs> listened to that from last week, I highly recommend you do so. We had a lot of fun making it. But in that, it, it, back to the issue, you know, they're they're like, hey, Thor, we need your help fighting these demons who kidnap Franklin Richards. Like, okay, verily, mortals, I shall help with this. I shall go ahead and put our friend, Dane Whitman, longtime Avenger, in a wind <laughs> vortex in the middle of this intersection, and I shall leave him here <laughs> and never think about it again. Right, like, so, but you don't think about it so much that, like, by the end of the issue, you're like, where is Dane? Oh, we <laughs> left him. Nobody was left him. Like the, there was no moment where Reed was like, "Let's take him back to the lab. I'll hook him up to this machine." Right. That I definitely have. They just peace out back to Connecticut to put Franklin to bed. Can you imagine Dane waking up in the middle of this New York hellscape, and he's like, "Hold on, what the, what the fuck is happening here?" And he's like, "They left." And me he wakes here. up. He looks at the blade. Did I do this? Did I do this? <laughs> It's like waking up after like a magical hangover. <laughs> like seriously, the, it, it, they 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 mention the fact it is an invisible, incorporeal vortex that they leave him in in the middle of this intersection. I hope they wrote down what intersection it was. <laughs> I imagine Thor can see it. That's like, <laughs> hey, I'm gonna park my car in the Disney parking lot, but I'm gonna go ahead and hit my my cloaking device. <laughs> And don't write down which lot you are. <laughs> it's 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 the line from Star Trek Four. Everybody remember where we parked. Yep. Oh, and also, the, the first panel where we see Black Knight in his comatose state, like he is completely like rigor mortis stiff. Like he looks yeah, like he, an action figure. Yep. Yep. He, yeah. He looks like he's like still in the box and hasn't been played with yet. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I know you guys had you had some takes on Tom Palmer's finishing art on some previous issues. Did you feel like Tom Palmer got any better in this issue or were were you wanting something else? I'm just curious because I know that came up previously. So I'm going to get eviscerated for this because I know people love Tom Palmer and I've loved Tom Palmer on other books. But here his stuff is just so boring. Mm. Like, I don't know if it's the coloring or something. It's just like the artwork is just so boring in this issue. Yeah, I, I actually mostly like this issue visually. The the I think 
sometimes the backgrounds aren't great. I, I think the 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 figures, the characters are are fine, but like wide shots of the city under the effects of Inferno, he kind of just drew like mold on the buildings and stuff. Like it's not especially like it's not like the city on fire of Daredevil, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think this issue was of the five we covered in this episode this is the middle of the road for me where it's like serviceable comic book art yeah it's Whereas not like, bad right it's not it's not like oh what is this like i don't even understand and there's definitely some panels in in the books we're about to cover where i felt that but it didn't have that dynamism that like visceral nightmarish quality that daredevil had where I felt like New York was under this hellish cloud of just awfulness. In this one, it's like, oh, look, the Avengers are they're fighting some bad guys that are demons. Like, okay, cool. Like, I'm not against it. I'm not anti this. But the artwork did nothing to kind of make me feel that that vibe like we were talking about with Daredevil, where all of Daredevil is a vibe check for Inferno. Whereas <laughs> Avengers, it's like, oh, it's the Avengers fighting demons in New York, you know, you know. Yippee Kaye, let's let's go do this. Yeah, it it was middle of the road for me. I didn't hate it, but I wasn't like in love with anything in in this book. I also I I I have to say, like you, I enjoy when like a weird minor villain shows up out of nowhere. But I feel like the whole growing man fight is only there because this had to be a 64-page book. Correct. And like Kang is here for some reason. Because it's a 64-page book. <laughs> You know, Kang is in the Fantastic Four issue we're talking about next episode, right? Oh, is he? Yeah. I, I have not read ahead. It'll be interesting to see if this gets mentioned here or if right. it's more tiny wimey shenanigans. Right. Does that resolve the him being adrift in time or does does it just not acknowledge it at all? I call him a time ghost. Right. Speaking okay. of Fantastic That's Four. Why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Fantastic Four, I'm still puzzled by reed and sue on this team yeah and the end of this issue didn't really do anything to clarify it it was like well we thought we were going to retire from the fantastic four but hey what the hell we've got nothing else to do it's not like we just saved our son from a demonic overlord like we could probably fit the avengers into our schedule speaking of something i didn't, didn't talk about last issue and i really should have it is complete bullshit that nanny could disable a security system installed by Reed Richards. Yes. She cuts a cable on the roof and boom, the house is defenseless. That makes no right. sense. Like, although you, people broke it, people broke into the Baxter building all the time. Uh, but okay, this is a house that at least needs to be Dr. Doom proof. Sure, sure. I, I, I will say this. I, I also kind of wanted like one of the last pages of the book to be Sue or Reed one like with the with their FF uniforms just laid out like painting a little vertical line on the left side of the four to make it into an A. <laughs> Please. <laughs> well, that wouldn't have done much good because apparently they're only in the title for four issues. It's not yeah. it's not one yeah. at all. It's blink and you miss it. Kind of like, oh, right. Reed and Sue were in the Avengers once. Yeah, this right. is like the four issues they were. I'm pretty right. sure Ben was a member of West Coast Avengers for longer. Probably. Like, the Avengers, don't get me wrong, like the Avengers have had their their bevy of like, oh, they were an Avenger kind of like people. This one is just 
extra weird because they're still wearing their Fantastic Four shit. Like, it's so blatantly obvious that they don't belong. Yeah. Like, I don't show up to my teaching job in my Kinko's uniform. <laughs> it's like, is is yeah. is he okay? Um, like, <laughs> Basically, when Grunewald takes over the book, the ensuer out. But it's one of those other things where, like, Simonson was about to start Fantastic Four. He might not. I don't know if he knew what he was about to do at this point, but he was going to be writing a lot of Reed and Sue in Fantastic Four. And he he yeah. kind of returns the Fantastic Four to their status quo very quickly. It's yeah. a weird blip in the Avengers history, though. And it's weird because it's the 300th issue. And, and it, post 300, there is not a consistent creative team. 301 and 302 are Grunewald. I think 303 is Grunewald. Then there's a fill-in by Danny Fingeroff. Then John Byrne does an issue. I think Byrne's on the book for several issues after that. But, like, it's not consistent. No. And it's just weird because, like, it kind of sucks for the Avengers that their their 300th issue is beholden to this X-Men crossover. Yeah. Well, not only... Not only is it beholden to an X-Men crossover, but the drama of the issue is dictated entirely by Fantastic Four characters. They're on the hunt for Franklin Richards. That's true. It kind of it kind of makes sense why nowadays when Marvel does crossovers, instead of, you know, tying it into the main title, they do the event cover or the event miniseries with that team yeah. with the crossover. So instead of, you yeah. know, the the infinite what the fuck ever invasion issue of fantastic four will have infinite what the fuck ever event invasion fantastic four 104 yeah yeah i i guess the thing is it, it avengers suffers in this event from already being adrift before the event starts you know right other other books have managed to balance tying in better not every issue of spider-man has but most i would say the daredevil issues did a really good job of tonally like capturing both the spirit of daredevil and tying into the event Mm -hmm. uh power pack did a pretty good job of balance i i think the books that had a clear through line that could tie into something they made it work this book there was already nothing happening in the book (laughs) like the last thing that happened in avengers was they broke up (laughs) and like what we you a few issues ago in this avengers inferno you know mess we had jarvis getting a whole issue like to to explore yeah. him fighting appliances and it's like that doesn't feel like you know the I'm, i mean i'm sure that issue is hilarious and it's entertaining but it's, it's not a lot avengers of fun. issue it's not but, yeah. but it's not it's not avengers and, and what i think maybe a lot of fans probably know this but in case you don't like looking back in this on uh, with 2023 eyes it's like this is not the avengers like yeah but back then the avengers weren't the avengers like no. it, they weren't this big mega property that they are now you guys have mentioned it many times like the x-men and spider-man were the shit back then anything they touched was probably going to sell and there's a reason why like it didn't really matter that the avengers were disbanded at this point cuz the avengers was a property that kind of barely mattered well, and they were they didn't have a consistent roster the way right. some of the other books did. Like the 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 core team that we think of as Avengers didn't last beyond the Lee Kirby run, really. And then you had the Kooky Quartet era, and then you get into the Roy Thomas stuff, and and it was fluctuating constantly. And so that it fluctuated again, I'm sure they thought that 
the obvious thing to do for Avengers would be to do a totally new roster that no one would expect. I, I mean, for shock value, sure. But, but, but like, I, I think that's also, that's weirdly, that inconsistency is the thing that was consistent about the right, title. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, the thing that we're good at is not being good at keeping people. Like, it's, you right. know, but I think maybe this would have been better as a Fantastic Four issue. This would have been the better Fantastic Four issue with because Franklin is he's a quintessential FF character, you know, not only at this point as their as their younger son, but he becomes such a big deal in Fantastic Four comics. This would have been like a good if the Fantastic Four was in their original roster, it would have been like great to see the four of them go track down Franklin and get him away from the demon clutches of Nastir. Like I, I would have loved that seeing Ben Grimm and, and Johnny Storm fighting while Reed and Sue try to get Franklin free. I would have loved that. This was a, an Avengers issue where you really didn't need the Avengers in it. And and my, my headcanon here is that because this team comes together because of Kang, like Kang's machinations create the team, it's Kang being like, okay, the needs of the timeline dictate that there must be an Avengers team. But maybe they should not be an awesome Avengers team because I'd like to take them out one day. But the timeline does not specify it has to be a good Avengers team. Right, right. <laughs> they need to exist, but maybe I could take these guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, like, there's a reason why at this time, in in my humble opinion, the good Avengers book at this time was West Coast. Yeah. And, but Didn't like, they have Iron the Man one, at this time? It was the one that more clearly resembled an Avengers book. Yeah. Because it wasn't it was like Vision, Iron Man, Hawkeye, people like that. Uh, the Avengers lineup at this point. Oh God, Moon Knight was on the team at this point. Trey. Oh yeah, he was. Cla- yeah, he was classic Avenger Moon Knight. That's that's the. It's because of this era that anytime anyone called him on his bullshit, he'd like, "What? I'm an ex Avenger. Do something about it." Yeah. Oh man, this is right around the time that the Mockingbird stuff and Tigers on a team and oh, this was a fun era i'm sorry that oh that was fun give me that give me that yeah they're, they're lucky they're not in new york that's how they did right. so they escaped the crossover right. i love that it's that easy to get out of this big crossover it's like well we're like one of the five people that aren't in new york right now so we get off scot-free to speaking of the crossover let's go ahead and talk about some issues that go a little bit deeper into it exterminators number four and that has a cover date of January 1989. Writer is Louis Simonson, penciler John Bogdanov, inker Al Milgram, colorist Petra Scotes, letterer is Joe Rosen, the editors Bob Harris and Mark Cronwell. And we open with Nastir triumphant, calling upon Manhattan to see that the end of the world is at hand. Demons are continuing to pour out of the flaming pentagram in the sky, and the New Mutants fall through the portal as well, as we saw at the end of the last issue of New Mutants that we talked about. And as all of this is happening, Wizkid tries to sort of take advantage of the chaos and distraction to destroy the computer that he made for Nastir, but Nastir is too fast for him and stops him, but while the demons are watching Wizkid. The two younger mutants, Leech and Artie, are able to sort of sneak around and and start messing with wires. That causes the pentagram to break up. 
the externals are freed from their magical prison, and now we've got some fighty, fighty, fight mutants and demons. During all of this, Nastir is fighting Sim, the other demon that's vying for control of Limbo. And as an editor's note says, we will find out more about that in the next issue of New Mutants. And so the externals on the ground level start fighting the army of demons that surround them. And Wizkid manifests this really odd-looking jet with individual cockpits for all of the externals. And Boom Boom feeds a, a power pellet into its energy slot, and they take off. And so now they're airborne. We've got dogfighting against the winged demons. One of them jumps onto Wizkid's section of the ship, and the, the various cockpits all snap apart and Wizkid reveals he designed it that way. It's sort of like the the 90s Fantasticar, where it splits off into the separate compartments. And so they each have their own fighter jet. Or G-Force, or Gatchaman, yeah. or Battle of the Plants, whatever you want to call it. Sure, yes. And so they're, they're dogfighting. They figure out, some of them figure out how to use the weapons of the plane, Others just rip off the canopy and start using their mutant powers while flying the plane, which seems very dangerous. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, and they're trying to get to the babies that are, again, still floating at the points of the pentagram in the sky. But the demons are too much for them. Who would imagine a major superhero outing revolving, or a major part of it revolving around catching a shower of babies? Right. Uh, <laughs> That definitely wouldn't happen in a, <laughs> a major shower of babies. motion picture. Hollywood film. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, at one point, Skids gets hit by one of the <laughs> demons, and what's his name? Rusty rushes in to save her, but then he gets hit in the head by the demon as well. Just then, the new mutants show up, and Cannonball sort of charges in and knocks the demon out of the way. Warlock is in sort of a, a flying mode, giving the other New Mutants a ride so that they're all airborne. And basically, the New Mutants and the Externals decide to team up. So the Externals focus on the demons, keeping them distracted, while the New Mutants are going to save the babies and, dis and fully disrupt the pentagram. Meanwhile, Nastir still has Wizkid and forces him to use the computer to enhance Nastir's magical power so that he can defeat Sim's transmode virus abilities. And Wizkid does so, but he's able to, rather than resist Nastir's power, he leans into it and pushes the button more than once so that instead of just targeting Sim, it creates a bigger explosion that also hits Nastir. The two demon lords continue to fight. They regain their composure. The external, Richter of the externals, frees Wizkid from the mud and earth that had trapped him in place. Boom Boom tries to take out the computer by throwing a power pellet at it, but she mistimes it, and so the power pellet actually pushes a bunch of buttons on the computer, causing the steam caps in Times Square to all explode at once causing Midtown Manhattan to be filled with a searing incandescent cloud unfit for human lungs. <laughs> Countless deaths. Countless yeah, deaths. Yeah, right everyone's dying. Like, Broadway yeah. is a massacre. I love that you guys mentioned in a previous episode that, like, no humans technically die in this. I'm like, how? 
How, how do no humans Magic. technically die here? That was here? very it's crazy. That's why I stopped um, keeping the kill count. Right. Nastir then decides on a new strategy <laughs> to fight Sim. He grabs Sim and forces him to transfer some of the transmode virus to him. So now he is a technical techno-organic demon as well. And he uses his techno-organic powers to merge with the magic processing computer that WizKid built. So now Nastir can use the power of that computer without the needing a human to interface with it. His control over technology to try and force the circuitry that Nastir is bonding with back into its non-living components, causing a big explosion that WizKid is caught up in. Sim seems to think he's won at this point. Nastir is gone, the pentagram is gone, and, and Sim is still there to lord over the other demons. This kid is unconscious on the ground, and the new mutants show up with the babies because they were able to rescue the babies. And the two teams sort of unite over a job well done. They reassure WizKid that that they saved the day, that, that he didn't that, that he's made up for being forced to make the computer. And the New Mutants say that they will deal with the other demons later. For now, they should have their rest. They've earned but the Inferno. So every time you say Rusty, I keep on imagining uh-huh. either Rusty the Boy Robot right. or Rusty Venture. Okay. And I'm just Fair. imagining now James Urbanak <laughs> uh, like, voicing this character, and it's a little bit hilarious. Who's Rusty? seems like a better version of the character in many respects <laughs> that would so, give him you know a personality so some things about the art here i've spent uh-huh. a lot of time raving about john bogdanov's artwork in this book and i sure. it's still good artwork i find it a little bit amusing that he is drawing rusty to look more and more like flash gordon yes. as the as the book goes on he gets he already had the shirt and the pants. Right. Now he has the headpiece. This right, is right. definitely him. Like, I'm sneaking Flash Gordon into this book. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny, because I think at this point, Flash Gordon was at DC. This is all his audition piece. Like, <laughs> hey, DC, I can come work for you. Hey, Paul Levitz, look at this. <laughs> look what I did. Yeah. <laughs> but th- the weird thing here, and something that really struck me with this issue the way the characters are drawn here, especially the the girls, these are essentially naked children. Yep. They're, they're definitely all being rendered as visually much older than they're supposed to. I was going to wait till the New Mutants issue to talk oh, about it's, it's that, even but... more, that. It's oh, even more pronounced it, in New Mutants. It's uncomfortably so? pronounced in New I, Mutants. I, the whole time I'm reading it, I'm thinking, how old is Ileana again? I mean, exactly exactly but you definitely get like the the more like the less obvious version of that in this one and it's still pretty obvious yeah gossamer here like gossamer yep oh like where gossamer was first introduced she was already drawn basically like she's naked now everybody's being drawn like that yeah it's like these are books about kids and they're being drawn as pinups Literally, my notes say I'm uncomfortable with these pinup children drawings. Yeah, yeah, and like 
the 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 art okay uh, so the art in in the last two issues made me kind of do like a like a double take i'm like okay we just drew this character and he looks totally different like especially in the last issue with nastir but in this one sim is drawn like four different ways in this book and so there's so much parody almost happening within the within the book the art kind of had me going back and forth of I don't know what this is. I don't know why we're making this choice. Why can't this character just look like one version of the character instead of four or five versions of the character within within the book? And maybe I'm reading too much into that. But uh, like Sim in particular gets increasingly cartoony as right. the book goes on. And that's Bogdanov for you. Like I've talked before about I think Bogdanov's philosophy with this book was like I will adjust my style as the scene demands. Not so much okay. like, say, like a consistent style throughout the book, because Bogdanov really is one of those artists who can do like chameleon style. And of course, my classic example of that is, you know, the I think it's Superman issue during Zero Hour where Superman on the cover is confronted by all these different reality versions of Batman. Right. And they're from all different eras. Yep. All different eras. But like, you're right. The demon fight there eventually evolves into like comic strip Popeye beat em up. Like, I was waiting for one of them to pull out a giant mallet or something. Yeah. Right, right. It's, there's one There's one panel of, of where they're doing the, like, the, the pro wrestling, like, test of strength, and Sim mm-hmm. looks like a Sunday morning cartoon. Yep. 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 And I think that's actually intentional on Bogdanov's part. I, 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 I'm I, sure it is. It, it, I don't know that it, I don't know that the execution works as well as the intention. I, yeah. I, I would I would full send that exact sentiment. And also, the, the same thing happens. And it's more understandable with Warlock because Warlock is constantly sort of shifting around anyway. But but he does the same thing with Warlock throughout the age. Yeah. But isn't, so, that, l- isn't that inherent in who Warlock is, though? He's supposed to be like changing. And I actually I, weirdly to not to contradict myself. I actually like when he does it with Warlock. Because if Warlock's going to be in something, I want him to be as wacky and zany as he possibly can be, because it feels right. Whereas with Sim and Nastir, it's like, okay, did we have five character designs for these guys? Right. It it kind of (laughs) diminishes the the threat that that they are so inconsistent. But I get he's going with the the vibe of the moment. And I understand it. It's just maybe not the the aesthetic choice I would have made. I was just going to say that this... It's weird that this is the last issue of the miniseries. Yeah. Because it, it doesn't is. really end. No. In, in fact, it, this re- if, if this event was happening today, it would not have been Exterminators. It would have been Exterminators colon Inferno or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is totally an event book. Yep. I do want to talk about Wizkid a little bit. Yeah. In this issue, Wizkid sa- attempts to sacrifice himself yep. to save everyone. To save yep. the exterminators, to save new mutants, everything. My problem with that is he met all these people earlier this evening. Right, right. So <laughs> we could say maybe two to three days ago at most. No, he met Artie and Leech this morning. <laughs> okay, fair. It, like, and I'm just with all the travel them. time in the previous issues. I'm I'm not sure exactly how much time has passed. Uh, okay, fine. It's just. Very inconsistent. They're jetting around a lot, you know? Yeah. It's just very inconsistent. Like, how much time is taking place here? Is this like just the worst week ever or the worst night ever? Well, and so I'll buy into the self sacrifice a little bit in that he's not just trying to protect them, 
he is he's also saving humanity. he's saving humanity. He's also entirely bound up in the guilt of the machine he built being responsible. For. Yeah, he's the star of this book, this whole series. He yeah, yeah, like, yeah. With sure. well, and in a lot of ways, is the breakout character. He's the most interesting one. Yeah, but. I buy it. Like he's he's a lot of fun. Like when he was introduced in issue one, I was like, "Oh God, this character is gonna be terrible. Oh, yeah. it's gonna be a, he's gonna be a stereotypical. He's gonna be." A, but no, yeah. he's been really a lot of fun. So, yeah, I, I really, really liked the you know not really understand you know, how much time has gone by here. Whether it's been like one one evening, and I'm really just, I'm ready to sacrifice it all for for complete strangers. I do like that heroic mindset though of. <laughs> This is some the disaster we are in is partially my responsibility. It's it's kind of an updated little version of the Spider-Man thing, you know, like, hey, I did this thing. I, I have this great ability, this power. I'm responsible for the destruction that it has wrought on other people. And I yeah. need to do what I can do to stop Nastir from completing his plan. And until we read New Mutants in the, the next issue, we think, oh, hey. He Wizkid actually kind of solved the problem for us, but you know, right. New Mutants sheds the the light on the other side of this conflict, which is kind of what I like. We get the Exterminators side of this, their point of view, and then in the next issue, we get the New Mutants point of view of the same moment in the same conflict. I really like when comics do that, and I felt like this actually was well done from that point of view. Yeah. I think that's the strongest part of the issue is when that that sort of team up is happening and you're getting the indication that there's more to the story than just what you're seeing. Yeah. So let's go ahead and take a quick break and we'll be right back to look at that new mutants issue because we really can't talk about one about the other here. This is true. So, like I said, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our look at new mutants number 72 right after these messages. This is Gary Butterfield. This is Cole Ross. And this is Orb, a Venture Brothers podcast. Yeah, this is a new show on the DuckFeed.tv network talking about the Venture Brothers, a cartoon that we both really enjoy episode by episode. And this is kind of a call like, hey, if you want to uh, listen to that, you can subscribe to the show. Yeah, subscribe to this feed. You can also find more information at Orb.show mm-hmm. online or find information on all our shows at DuckFeed.tv. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Episode by episode, covering every special, um, you know, supplemental material, everything related to the Brothers Venture. Yes. If you want to get episodes early, you can go to patreon.com slash DuckVTV. That is the Patreon for our entire network of shows. We are entirely listener supported, and you can listen to episodes one week before they come out for everybody else. Supervillains and superheroes figures each sold separately. Here, Doctor Doom and the Doom Platoon. Magneto, Doctor Octopus. There, Captain America and the Champions of Freedom. Spider-Man and Wolverine. Secret Wars. The secrets out. Doctor Doom and Spider-Man. Welcome back to Believers to our fifth and last issue for this episode. Our fifth installment of our Inferno coverage. 
Unfortunately, it's not New Mutants number 55. It is New Mutants number 72. Writer on this one is Louis Simonson. Penciler is Brett Blevins. Inker is Ali Williamson. Letterer is Joe Rosen. Glennis Oliver on colors. Bob Harris is editor. And Tom DeFalco is editor-in-chief. And named his story is Demon Rain. And kind of like as we talked about in the previous segment... This is a continuation of the events from Exterminators number four, but from the New Mutants perspective. We have Ileana facing off against Nastir, who's basically like, you know, we made a deal. You, 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 you're like, I said sometime in the future. I meant like, like now. Now's the future. Let's, let's, let, let's get married. But first, I had to make you reach your full potential. So he teleports her from place to place to place, trying to get her to spill innocent blood which she refuses to do because she knows well, first off she's a hero she's a big dang hero but they don't they don't kill innocent but of course this would also complete her transformation into the dark child and it's interesting that we have two heroes in this crossover who their cursed blade will like corrupt them in some way if they spill blood but more about that later so we get the big fight between Nastir and Sim here, and but we also follow Ileana as she is being teleported from place to place to place, and then we follow the new mutants as they carry out their segment of the rescue the babies mission, and they go and rescue his babies. Ileana, like I said, is being transported. There's first like a diner where all the people inside have been corrupted and made into demons. She then goes to a pet shop where all the pets have been corrupted by the demons. She then goes to a beauty salon where, you know, she's she everything inside has been corrupted by demons. And it is there where she cuts a chair. It's a freaking cop out here. She cuts a chair. But like, because the chair has been corrupted, it's now a living thing. So that's innocent blood. I don't buy that. Unnecessary violence <laughs> against <Yeah>. chairs. <laughs> Unnecessarily unnecessary violence against chairs. But yeah. Then the new mutants and exterminators, they wrap things up on that end. More on that, of course, that exterminators issue. There's some debriefing between the two teams, and they decide that the new mutants need to go find Ileana. Boom Boom and Richter join the new mutants here. Shades of future X-Force here. But Ileana now transformed into a more demonic form, confronts Nastir. She armors up in the demonic form and that's a cool looking armor but it kind of runs into the issue we talked about we'll talk about that again in a second of these are children why are they being drawn like that but you know she defeats Nastir Nastir decides he's gonna out he's he's out he do, he's deuces and Ileana's kind of left with confronting what she's become and that's where Sim comes in to be continued so the thing I just learned okay you know that Sim both in name and appearance, is meant to be a reference to the Dave Sim character, Cerberus the Aardvark. Have we not talked about that before? I don't think so. Yeah. He, he, he's, oh, did, did that come up? It's in my notes somewhere, at least. Yeah. Oh, okay. He, he's definitely a reference to Dave Sim. Because apparently in an issue of Cerberus, Sim had a character that parodied Chris Claremont. And so Claremont introduced Sim as a parody of Cerberus. Yeah. It's... You know, kind of ignoring the whole problematic parts of Dave Sims comics that come in later. Oh, right, right. Rampant misogyny. 
so yeah, we have the same issue. I think we were talking about before with the artwork here. Yeah. Brett Blevins. If you're not familiar with Brett Blevins work, Brett Blevins likes drawing naked ladies. And, and that's the thing is Ileana in full demonic dark child form is basically naked, basically naked. And it's uncomfortable. I definitely got like mystique vibes. Like Mystique mm-hmm. without the, like the uh, oh, movie for, Mystique. Yeah, movie Mystique. I'm forgetting the actress's name who portrayed her, her in the, yes, that was what this reminded me of. And I was like, okay, if she's not red and scaly, this is akin to like comic pornography. So like, what is, what's, yeah, it, even the cover, it, here's the thing, the Nastir on the cover, I really like, I really like the cover. I, you know, at I let the cover is eye catching, but it's like it's eye catching because our hero is in the clutches of the demon that she is fighting. I get why the cover is what it is, even if you know, like, hey, let's maybe not portray her this way. But like, there are moments of the art in the issue that I really enjoyed. That first open that when you turn the cover and that big, you know, demon rain in the sky above the pentagon, like, I loved that. But then we put Ileana in so many of these like poses where I'm like, yikes, this is yeah. like, I, and, and part of me is like, what were you using as reference for this? What you said earlier, like, you know, how old is Ileana? Like, I'm asking myself that question. If this is a kid's team, I'm like, I get it. She's all demoned out and she's red and scaly, but how old is she again? <laughs> like, this is, well, that, I she's really need to know. It, but like, there's, and I try to find a better way of putting this, but I can't think of it. There is serious nipple hinting here. Yeah. Like you can yes. definitely see. Like, there's not much left to the imagination. No, with this one, and yeah, it was just I, I didn't I did not know how to feel about this artwork, guys. I'll be honest. As I'm reading it, I'm like, okay, what's the what's our take on this? How do we feel about it? And honestly, and you you called out the armor too. At least when she's armored up, I can say in my head, okay, now she's wearing armor. Like that she yeah. is fully covered in something. <laughs> Which yeah, the armor kinda... is badass. I love the armor at the end. And like her demonic look is cool. Like it is a cool look. It's just maybe a little more than, than I'm comfortable with at the risk of sounding like a complete dweeb. But like this was approved by the comics code. <laughs> And don't worry about sounding like a dweeb. This is a dweeb-approved podcast. Right. Good to know. Good to <laughs> <Yes>. know. <laughs> Being hosted by two of the biggest in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I, my mind the whole time, she's a child. She's a child. She's a child. She's a child. Jesus Christ, she's a child. Jesus uh, Christ, she's a child. <laughs> I did enjoy Warlock's superhero form. For, yeah, oh, that part was of the fun. Issue. Even though it's not consistent with Bogdanoff's artwork in the uh, in the exterminators issue true but that's okay he completely I can, different i can live yeah it's not him as a baby uh, carriage anymore <laughs> right right also how traumatic is this for these babies yeah oh my gosh well all you hope they don't I remember mean, it. some of them are infants they probably won't actually remember like i want i want like one of the new new mutants showing up in like you know house of x or whatever in the school being like so yeah when i was a baby i was used as a point in a pentagram i want that to be someone's villain origin story yes (laughs) it's it's so easy it's so easy just do it like Like, come on so when i was a baby i was kidnapped by demons 
and put put up in a portal in the sky. Yep. <laughs> I was a conduit for infernal evil. <laughs> and the therapist is just like, yeah, we've heard this story before. <laughs> There's uh, at least ten of them. The one thing that, and this is with this issue and Exterminators being sort of two sides of the same coin, I almost want the scene in this issue where the sort of uninjured members of the two teams combine forces for the next story. I almost wanted that to be the ending of Exterminators. Hmm. Like that gives a little more, that, that feels more like not closure, but it feels like that sort of pushes you more into the next new mutants. And I imagine that probably in terms of publishing order that didn't work out. And so like, if that was the case, we would probably would have flipped the reading order, but I don't know. I, I, it is odd that in one book they're like, yeah, we need to sit here and rest. We're not going to worry about those demons just yet. And then in this one, we have that same scene, but we need to combine forces and take care of this now. And when did they have the crossover with the captain again? That was the last. I know, Avengers but like, issue. where is this happening in the timeline? Oh. Is my question. Right. That was several episodes. That was Avengers two ninety eight. Was it ninety eight? That was one. That was three episodes ago. Wow. There's no room for that here. Like in this issue, they have just fallen through the portal. Yeah. Well, so actually, not quite. They 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 try to make it work. In the opening of the issue, they say mere hours ago, Ileana and her teammates, the new mutants, were trapped in limbo. Okay. There so they've go. been they've been here for hours at this point. I am once again again outdone by narration. <laughs> <laughs> Curse your narrative boxes. <laughs> Which which is probably Louise Simonson being, oh shit, wait a minute. We need to account for this other thing that happened. Caption box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say the, the end of this issue does really make me wanna like again, not being the most fluent or not not affluent, gosh, what's the word? The most we'll say literate X-Men reader. It does make me want to read the conclusion of the Ileana Dark Child saga in the next issue. Because her brother yeah. Colossus shows up, and like I'm, I'm always here for when Colossus shows up. It, it, it's he's he's a good X Men character, and I, you know, the brother sister dynamic. I can imagine that plays in very heavily in the next issue. But I, I wanted, I wanted to finish this story, and that bodes well for an X Men book that I had never read before. So it kept my attention, and I want to see how Colossus adds to this Inferno Dark Child. Nastier Sim story. Oh, not just oh, a yeah. sibling relationship, but like Ileana thinks the Colossus is dead at this point. Right. Right. Because all the X-Men are dead and hiding in hiding in Australia, the, which is also my retirement plan. So Right. <laughs> Fake my own death, go to the outback. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. <laughs> Try not to be killed by giant spiders and snakes. See, I don't inv- invite John Peters to not have to wear the giant spiders. <laughs> <laughs> Third dimensional chess. But yeah, it's it's two fun issues that are weird from a modern gaze. I'm th- I'm thinking, sure. yeah. But the, it definitely gets you excited for more of Inferno. And yeah. I think in in both issues, for for maybe slightly different reasons, but but the story is sort of what pulls you along. The art is not necessarily the best part of these issues. <laughs> New, which is interesting because it's kind of the the juxtaposed like other side of what we were talking about with daredevil where like the artwork was so integral to the story we were telling and here it's like the artwork is there 
it's doing a little bit of the lifting, but mostly it's the story of the conflict of the teams closing the portal, but also Ileana's story of fighting back this urge to kill and her being this dark bride of Nastir. It's the story is definitely front and center here and not so much the, the artwork. And right. to, to, bring, to kind of bring that into a perspective here, off with the, bring the, the aspect of artwork, just close it out here. Bogdanov also drew that power pack issue. He did, yeah. Which completely different art style. Yeah, yeah. Like if oh, just imagine the power pack issue drawn like this. Issue, oh God, no. Yeah. Okay. We're maybe talking about this this comic in like a trial. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, right. Oh, oh, I need to think about something happy now. And I have to think that in that Exterminators issue, Bogdanov was drawing the New Mutants in particular the way they were being drawn in their own book. You know, he's, he's maintaining yeah. house style consistency, which, like I said, is his great strength. But like, right. I'm really uncomfortable with it, giving given the subjects of the yes. art oh, here. 100 percent. 100 percent. Yeah, yeah. there is a point where I'm just like, okay, this had to go through like multiple editors, had to go through multiple eyes, and people were just like, that seems good to me, man. And we're good. You know, let's get this, let's get this shit shipped. Which, I mean, of course, going, looking back with 2023 20, eyes, it's easy to judge artwork that I didn't work on. That's kind of like the, the un, un, the unearned uh, right of all modern comic book fans is to look back on old stuff and just shit on it and not understand mm. the process. But some of these visuals, I'm like, come on guys. Like, you know, the, the old thing of like, well, it was, it was 1989, you know, this was acceptable. I'm like, it doesn't feel like that though. Sometimes, sometimes regardless of the era or time it was created in, it was just bad. Like mm-hmm. it was maybe wasn't the right choice back then. And we're like, ah, it'll be fine. Whatever. Let's just, let's, let's get our comic books out. But you know, it's, I still want to read the story, which I don't know. I feel weird about. (laughs) It's one thing to draw Madeline Pryor that way, you know? Yeah. She's a full grown adult. (laughs) Right. So, but, but as you say, the story is compelling and does make me very excited to see where things go next. Yeah. Agree. But lovely listeners, that's enough of our woke bullshit. We are at the end of another issue, sorry, episode of <laughs> Ryan, I didn't mean to break you. <laughs> I am I like the X-Men at this point, I am deceased. <laughs> I'm just I'm gone. <laughs> but thank you so much for joining us, Ryan. We oh my really goodness. enjoyed having your your input, your perspective on all this. Fellas, this was a whole 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 heap of fun. Thank you. And and I know uh, you talked about your podcast at the beginning, yeah. but remind people where they can find you, what what sort of stuff you have going on right now. Yeah, so you can find us on Instagram. That's mostly the social platform that we're on. We are at Mighty Thor Podcast, or you can just search across the Bifrost. We are we we're a Thor podcast. Every Monday we upload new episodes. And right now we're largely we're doing a series of creator spotlight on Walt Simonson this year. We are in, I think, part six just came out a few weeks ago where we talked about Scourge's Last Stand. And that was a lot of fun. We have some great guests on, some good friends. 
And I'd love for you guys to stop by for a future Walt Simonson saga episode. It, it, they're a lot of fun. Walt is I definitely a great creator. And we've been focusing on his work. We we took cover new comics as well. So there is a new volume of Thor that's going to be starting in late August, The Immortal Thor by Al Ewing. And we are beyond stoked for that. So there's a lot of cool stuff happening in the world of Thor. We're going to be covering the Loki TV show later on this year, episode by episode. So if you're interested and you enjoy Thor-related stuff, come come on over, and we would love to have you join us for anything and everything in the world of Thor. Yep. And of course, you can always find us. We're on all the social networks at this point. On Twitter, while it's still there, we're at Tomb of Ideas. Instagram, we're at Tomb of Ideas. Our email address is tombofideas at gmail.com. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash tombofideas. And now Trey and I are both on Blue Sky. I'm right. at Mr. Hickson and however the hell you find people on there. And yep, I'm at T Lawson. Yep. So uh, we're working on getting a show account. Next yeah. time set of invites drops, we'll we'll make that happen. Yeah. It's 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 it's, it's, it's Blue Sky's interesting, guys. But fun. Yeah. But a fun interesting. Yeah. And much better than the Hellscape that is Twitter right now. Yeah, the vibe is sort of Twitter circa 2010 2011 yeah it's it's before somebody opened up a gate to limbo and bought a bunch of demons in a twitter <laughs> right <laughs> actually i should not have taken a drink there <laughs> i about oh, spit yes. i about spit coke zero all over my macbook <laughs> <laughs> but of course you can find our entire back catalog on cinepunks.com that's cinepunks with an x all our shows are there. There's also a lot of other great podcasts, The Shameless, Cinema Smorgasbord, Twitch of the Death Nerve, Horror Business, and much, much more. So check out Cinepunks.com. That's right, Trey. And lovely listeners, your homework for next time is Spectacular Spider-Man number 147, Web of Spider-Man number 48, Amazing Spider-Man 313, as well as Fantastic Four, 323, and Uncanny X-Men, 241. Sorry, I'm sorry. I can't wait to find out what happens after that issue of New Mutants. Well, here's three issues of Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great cliffhanger. Great cliffhanger. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. But until then, Tomb Believers, bye-bye. Bye. Ryan, say bye. <laughs> Oh, goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tomb Members, Excelsior! (laughs) Ha 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 ha!